Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. That moment on is just giving young Appalachians a voice, letting them know that they don't have to be embarrassed of their accent. They're not less intelligent because of their accent. There is always a place for young professionals who want to move back to Appalachia or just move to Appalachia in general. Appalachia Meets World, podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. All right, Appalachian meets world. We are back. It's Will. And Neil. What up, man? Everything's going great, man. Going great. Good things are happening in the world of Appalachia. Starting to rebuild in eastern Kentucky, getting uh, getting things rolling after the flood. I'm going to mention that every single time we have an episode. So right out the gate today, things are moving in the right direction. There's there's hope in eastern Kentucky again. As well you should, and as well we will mention it every week. There's always hope in eastern Kentucky. There's always more than hope, but especially now in the just starting the rebuilding process, we've said on multiple episodes how long it's going to take, and it is going to take a long time, but we talked about the word resilient, but you know, the people are resilient. Definitely hope, like you said, and and, and things will come back. Yeah, I, I think so. It's just obviously time heals all wounds, but unfortunately, so uh, I know we'll press forward. What else is going on? Man, I was going to ask you if you had any app news for us. I do a little bit of app news just to talk about. We, we've mentioned this app news before, but these events are coming up next weekend. So I figured I would let the listeners know again. It's Healing Appalachia put on by Hope in the Hills. It's September 23rd and 24th. It's a concert to raise money and awareness for the opioid epidemic, essentially, or recovery. So it's Healing Appalachia. The headliners are Margot Price. Tyler Childers, Lucero, Arlo McKinley, even TK and the Holy Know Nothings are playing. You can also stream it live. If you can't make it in person, you can stream it live at mandolin.com. You still have to pay for a ticket on there. I think it's $25, but you can stream it from 4 o'clock to 1130 on Friday, on Saturday as well. All day streaming for those live shows at the Healing Appalachian Concert. Yeah, well, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be awesome, man. Anytime Tyler Childers is on playing some music, you want you want to be there. I'll yeah, be so there. check it out at the State Fairgrounds in West Virginia. That's Lewisburg, West Virginia. If you're there, you can check it out in person. If not, stream it on mandolin.com. Again, well, you know that's September the 23rd and the 24th. There's also another big event that same same weekend in. Uh, Eastern Kentucky that I gotta mention the World Chicken Festival. If you're not going to Healing Appalachia, make sure you attend the World Chicken Festival in London, Kentucky. You can go check out the world's 
largest frying pan at the at the chicken festival while yeah. live streaming Healing Appalachia. There you go, Will. Sounds like a great weekend. Maybe since you're going to check out the thing live there at the London World Chicken Festival, you can uh, swing by Neil's and check out his chickens. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> you have like a chicken petting day or something. <laughs> I think you can raise money for flood relief. Yeah, for sure. Come by, check out the chickens, maybe feed them. Seriously, though, what else is going on at the World Chicken Festival you want to let our listeners know about? Yeah, well, you know, a lot going on at the World Chicken Festival. It's become sort of a, a music festival over the years. There's a lot of live entertainment that goes on during the, the weekend. The Chicken Festival does run Thursday through Sunday. So during those nights, each night, there's performers on the main stage. And Tracy Lawrence is kind of the, the star of stars coming on Saturday this year. You know, and then there's there's different events throughout the whole weekend. So action-packed events going on. School's out. I mean, it's the World Chicken Festival, Will. The world is looking at us. We got to perform. That's awesome. Yeah, always a good event. Always fun times in London, KY. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a chicken cook-off challenge on Friday as well. There's an egg drop from one of the local banks. You got a whiskers and beard contest. And, of course, the, the family flock look-alike contest <laughs> wait, I mean, wait what is that <laughs> the family flock look-alike contest who do you have to look uh, like i don't really know i don't really know will but that's something that's new to the world chicken festival <laughs> and uh, i did want to make sure i mentioned it are we just missing something here what is the family flock <laughs> i don't know man <laughs> I think last year, maybe this is what they call it. It's like the best mullet. Ooh, then that'd be nice. I, I see you got the beard, the best beard. I can understand that. They have world championships out there for that. Bringing back yeah. the mullet. I would go to watch that. I'm not going to lie. I'm just a little disappointed that they got rid of the bear, the wrestling the bear. I know. That was always my favorite growing up. Yeah, we had fun a, to watch. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. The mullet contest is on Saturday, so I really don't know what the family, oh, uh, family flock. Wait, they, they actually do have a mullet contest, but then they also have the family flock. But, Will, the best of the best on Saturday, everybody comes to this, the clucking, strutting, and crowing contest. Oh, That's that right. is wonderful. Your best impersonation of a chicken is on Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock on the oh, main that, stage. That's pretty awesome. 2 o'clock, right? Midday. I'm going to wear out hashtag family flock. For sure. Uh, and then got a winging contest before the clucking, strutting, and crowing contest. So I can see that. I mean, you definitely need a winging eating. That's, that's automatic, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So a lot of good music, a lot of great contests. Rides and, and fair activities, all of the above have booths, local products, local artists. Check it out. Hey, I wanted to, wanted to ask you, I always enjoy asking you about this because it makes me laugh a little bit, but did you watch the Emmys the other night? Well, <laughs> I mean, of course I did. I know, I mean, I know you did. Not the Emmys. Uh, it just makes me laugh to ask because I know you didn't. I did not watch it either, but I'm always curious to see who wins. Some of the shows I do watch. So I wanted to ask you if you've watched any of the shows in the best drama series, and then I'll tell you who won. So Better Call Saul, 
Have you seen Better Call oh, yeah. Saul? Yeah, I've seen Better Call Saul. That's a good one. I've never actually watched that. I watched Breaking Bad. I just never watched Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah. You got to watch it, man. All right. I'll check that out. Reruns. Euphoria on HBO. Um, no. I thought that was a place I went as a kid. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I, I don't watch that either. Succession on HBO. Uh, no. I heard this was an awesome show, although I don't get HBO, so I don't watch it. Yeah. Stranger Things. I've seen two episodes of Stranger Things. More than one. Yes. I gave it two, and I checked out after that. Yeah, it's a little sci-fi-ish. If you don't like sci-fi, it's hard to get into. It's a cult following. People love that show. Yellow Jackets. Have you seen that? Uh, No. That's uh, something I have in the backyard, though, I need to take care of. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's about the same with me. I haven't seen it. Squid Game. (laughs) We've talked about that on here. Uh. Yeah, I think we talked about it, and I still haven't watched it. Probably won't. Yeah, I just watched the first episode. From the first time we talked about it, we talked. I talked about how shocking it was, but I never went back and watched the second episode. They've only had one season. I don't understand why it still gets into all these categories with only having one season over a year ago. Ozark. Oh, you know I've seen Ozark. That's great. That might be my favorite show. That's great, right? Yeah, I love, I love Ozark severance have you seen that on apple tv i have not that's a new one on me man i've watched it i haven't watched the full season i think there's only one season it's really odd it has it i'm out it has an interesting premise whole idea behind it is these people they choose to work at this place but they have this chip implanted in their brain when they go into work they forget everything outside of work have no idea who they are outside of work. And then when they leave work, when they step off the elevator to leave work, they forget everything about work and every, everybody they work with. So it's leaving your life and work totally separate. So that's the premise behind it. But there's all kinds of weird things goes on. I haven't watched it all, so I can't talk really much about it. But it's an interesting concept, but it's a little weird. So if you're not into weird, then you wouldn't like it. Sounds like corporate America. Yeah. <laughs> so the winner is Succession. I, oh. I, I would vote for Ozark, too. I just think that's a great series. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not going to go through the comedies, but I'll see if you have watched the winner. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Uh, no, I have not. You got to watch that, man. You would like it. You would really like yeah. it, especially, especially being a middle school football coach. You would <laughs> You would definitely like it. You, you know the whole idea behind Ted Lasso, right? I do not. He coached football in America. And then a European soccer league got him to come over and coach soccer, knowing nothing about it. Oh, wow. So that's the idea behind it. But it's hilarious, good-hearted. Yeah, I need to check that out. Sounds like, sounds like I would like it, actually. I wanted to mention Limited Series because the other one on there is Dope Sick, the lead Talk actor – Michael Keaton, he won for Dope Sick. I just want to mention that because I think Dope Sick is a, I think it's just a great portrayal of the Appalachian, the Appalachian region. I know Beth Macy, who wrote Dope Sick, worked a lot with the directors of the series Dope Sick to make it accurate in regards to the portrayal of Appalachian. They did a really good job. So I just wanted to mention that again. And that's it for the Emmys. I just find it, always find it entertaining to ask you about them because <laughs> you typically know nothing about what's out there. Yeah, man. I'm just in my bubble down here. You know, <laughs> living the dream. Well, I want to just 
briefly talk about what something that you do know about this whole Texas A&M drama. Yeah, man, I'm still mad about it. Can I play the clip? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. It's kind of the reason why we started this podcast, right? Yep. This is the Texas A&M. What is it? The pep rally before the game when they played yeah. Appalachia State. Pep rally not before. don't know what to think about that it absolutely blows my mind after what happened at BYU where there were some racial slurs being thrown the person that was throwing the racial slurs at the game got thrown for a lifetime banned from sporting events South Carolina has refused to go to BYU and play basketball the girls team so there was this major uproar over what happened at BYU. But then this happens at Texas A&M. There hasn't been much said about it. No, they take it off social media. They took it down. And then it's kind of like gone away. It just died. And it, it's complete, complete, complete bullcrap. And I don't know what's more concerning. The guy that was actually making the statements or everyone in the crowd laughing at his statements. Yeah. So, I mean, you pick. What's worse? So I, I feel like it's on that student. It, it would be different if this was at a bar and they were just yelling it across the room. But this is yeah. at a, a sanctioned event on campus. Like you said, the crowd, which were fans, which were alumni, which were students, which were professors, which were people affiliated with the schools. Heck, the president was probably even there laughing along to what this individual was saying. Yeah, well, this is a tradition at Texas A&M that they, they do this pep rally the night before the game, and it's not like it's only attended by 100 people. There's thousands of people there. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. There needs to be more light shed on this, and people need to, to not just wash it away. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, like you said before, it's, it's why we do this podcast, to dispel some of the misconceptions, but to also help people realize that stereotypes don't help. They don't help situations. They're wrong in all regards. There's right and there is wrong. And this is just wrong. So on the flip side of that, Will, what happened the next day? App State destroyed Texas (laughs) A&M. You think they they can read what's on the front of that jersey now? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That was great retribution there. Absolutely. App State with the big win at Texas A&M. Yeah, but that doesn't always happen that way. And if it would have gone the other way, would this have even come up? I mean, if Texas A&M rolls App State by 30, would it would it have now been okay for those words to surface and been widely accepted? 
That's a good point because I think you're right. I think the answer is yes, it would be okay as long as Texas A&M would have won. I think there needs to be something done about it, at least something said about it, like you said, brought to light. I, I just don't think it should be forgotten. I, I'm not saying there should be repercussions. I'm not saying the students should be thrown out of school. I just think it should be discussed much more than it is. So I'll leave it. I at mean, that. How about an apology, Will? Let's start there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My goodness. One final anyway. thing, real quick, because it kind of leads into what we're what the episode's about tonight. We talked about fe- a couple festivals, but another festival's coming up, not next weekend, but the weekend after, the Big Ideas Festival. So the Big Ideas Festival is put on by the Foundation for Appalachia, Kentucky. It is a... Three-day event, September 29th through October 1st in Hazard, Kentucky. It has storytelling, arts and culture, and community building. It's all about Appalachia. It has artists, inspiration, and innovative ideas talking about entrepreneurship, housing, resilient design, disaster preparedness, community safety, local food, sustainable agriculture. They have uh, a concert on Friday night. Nicholas Jamerson and the Morning Jays are going to be playing. All of this is free. Everything is free. They have a dinner from 8 to 10 on Friday night with Kristen Smith from the Wrigley Tap Room. It's a really cool event, but I just wanted to mention that it's going on because the Foundation for Appalachia, Kentucky, is putting it on. And just to mention them a little bit, they're doing some incredible work in regards to getting the word out about flood relief in eastern Kentucky. So I wanted to mention that organization. I wanted to mention the festival that's coming up. If you're in Hazard between September 29th and October 1st, definitely check it out. But more importantly, check out their website, the Foundation for Appalachia, Kentucky. See what they're doing in regards to flood relief. Yeah, and uh, I mentioned earlier, Will, talking about there being hope in eastern Kentucky. We we said there's always hope, and uh, we couldn't think of a better way to, to talk more about the flood relief than to have on our guest tonight, who's part of and uh, spearheading a group over in Eastern Kentucky, Appalachians for Appalachians, Stacy Fugit, who's going to be on with us here momentarily. And I'm really looking forward to talking with her tonight, Will. Yeah, me too. She Hopefully she'll get into details of what the foundation is doing in regards to flood relief and let people know what more they can do to help support that relief. So you just want to get into it? Absolutely. Let's do it. coordinator for Appalachians for Appalachia. She's the director of Envision Hazard, which is a program for the Foundation for Appalachia, Kentucky. She's also a proud graduate of Hazard High School and the University of Kentucky, where she was a Robinson Scholar and was awarded a scholarship from the Appalachian Connection, which was established in 2015 for students in Appalachia schools throughout Kentucky. So, Stacy, we want to welcome you to the show. To the show, and thank you for being here. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you for having me on and wanting to talk about the foundation's work. Yeah, we want to get into the the flood relief. We want to get into your work with it. The foundation has been doing some incredible organ organizing, some incredible work in regards to flood relief for the impacted communities. 
But we want to kick it off with a question that we ask everyone. As most Appalachians are big on tradition, Neil and I, our family's big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We usually have this huge spread of appetizers bigger than the meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? My mom's broccoli casserole. I know that's not really an appetizer, oh, but close um, my mom's broccoli casserole cannot be beat. I'm sorry to everyone else. And then I would also like to throw in a hot take and say that ham is better than turkey. I, like, I agree with that. Thank sure. you. Thank you. So uh, my question about the broccoli casserole is Ritz crackers or what? what's the special topping? So there's no other way besides Ritz crackers, in my opinion. Which is how how my mom makes it. But she does something special in the filling, and I don't know what it is, and I don't want to ask because I don't want to ruin the magic of Yeah, don't tell her. Don't tell her. (laughs) We definitely want to get into the flood relief, which is really why we had you on the episode. But we mentioned Envision Hazard. Can you just talk a little bit about what that is and what role you have with the foundation? Yeah, so basically the Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky is, it's a community foundation, but it also acts as a, as an umbrella organization for a lot of smaller um, nonprofits that wouldn't really have the infrastructure to survive on their own. And so Envision Hazard is a project of the um, Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky, and so is Appalachians for Appalachia. Envision Hazard is a citizens action group that kind of focuses on revitalizing downtown hazard from envision hazard we've been able to you know work to bring more small businesses in um and also hire our downtown coordinator bailey richards she's midas everything she touches turns to gold so really happy to have been a part of that work yeah envision hazard is just kind of the place that we want people who are new in our community to go to get them plugged into things happening on Main Street. And then Appalachians for Appalachia is a grassroots advocacy organization. So I graduated from UK with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science. So I've always been a huge policy nerd and things of that nature. And so we really want to represent the underbelly of progressives in Central Appalachia. And so um, that's a little bit of my work there. I, I don't have two days in a row that are the same, which is perfect for me. Give me the chaos. It's a little misunderstood that there actually are progressives in Appalachia, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, total misrepresentation there, I think. <laughs> and we're not trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel by any means. We know these people exist. We're just trying to get the dang thing rolling. So We have some really cool projects in the pipeline. We actually formed in 2020, so we're still a little baby organization, but we really just want to enhance the ecosystem of nonprofits and advocacy in the region because you all know, just like I do, that Eastern Kentucky and Central Appalachia is left out of policy choices all the time. So that's what we're trying to fight against. The Foundation for Appalachia Kentucky has been doing, like I said, some incredible and tireless work ever since the floods in regards to organizing, in regards to getting funds to the flood impacted communities. But I just want to read a recent update in regards to the numbers that I saw. So, so far, the the foundation has received and granted almost $3 million to support families in the flood impacted communities. Of that $3 million, $1.67 million has gone to individuals and families, which also includes 12,000 children. 
600,000 for businesses and nonprofits, 135,000 for small farmers, 115,000 to nonprofit partners, and 300,000 to family resource centers, which family resource centers hold a special place in our heart because our mom was a director of the Family Resource Center in the Laurel County School System for a long time. She was actually the president of the Frisky Coalition as well, which I love that name. There's no better name than the Frisky Coalition. I just wanted to read those numbers just to give the listeners a sense of, you know, the work and, and the impact that the foundation is having, giving these funds directly into individuals' hands and for what's needed. So can you talk a little bit about and just describe the foundation's purpose and role in regards to flood relief? Yeah, absolutely. So the day after the flooding happened, we all sat down in our conference room. And again, I'm not on staff at the foundation. I run a nonprofit that is within the foundation, but I knew that the best use of my time would be manpower helping the foundation and acting as a staff person, essentially. So the day of the flooding, we sat down in our conference room and we were like, what is our plan of action? We have, we immediately opened the app crisis fund, which is still open for donations. And that was floating around everywhere. We pretty much went viral with that donation link and we started receiving funds almost immediately. And so our big question was, how do we want to get funds out to people? um, And how do we want to do it equitably? And so we came up with this game plan of we're going to cut small checks at first and then get non-sensitive information. So get people's contact info and get the the flooding damage that they endured to their home. And the small checks were literally $250 per household plus an additional $50 per kid. And we know that that is not going to change anybody's life, but it would let people feel human again for a moment and let them think about the next 24 hours. So that was our game plan. And we kind of came up with an application that was fairly simple. Again, contact info and what happened to your home. We're not asking people to, you know, prove anything. We gave you a spot to upload pictures if you needed to, but that wasn't required because so many people are constantly having to prove to FEMA and to Red Cross and things like that, that they have endured this kind of damage. And we weren't worried about that. So the foundation's role was to really let people know that we are local folks. We are your neighbors and we see in the grocery store every Sunday, right? We just kind of wanted to give them a little bit of money at first to let them know that the foundation's here and we care about them. With that being said, we got in the first three weeks um, over 8,000 applications. And again, representing, I think it was 12,000 children. And um, there's a number for the amount of adults as well. You know, we're an eight man team at the foundation. So 8,000 applications, we have to evaluate all of them. We have to, you know, and our system has never had to print that many checks. And I mean, if you pray, pray for our finance director because she (laughs) has been put through the ringer. But yeah, that was the foundation's role is kind of, we got together, decided we want to give people agency, give them some control over that initial check. And that was the first prong of our approach. The second prong is, okay, how do we make sure that this application is equitable and we can get this out to every single person? Me personally, I raised the question of how do we know that we can get this application out to the mammals and papas who don't have email addresses, right? My mammal does not have an email address and and that's very common. And so 
we the next day we sent volunteers out with paper applications with laptops sitting under tents just getting the word out about this application and helping people fill it out online we gave out our office phone number unfortunately my personal cell phone number went (laughs) viral on facebook and suddenly i was the lady that had 250 dollars for everyone so i was getting a lot of phone calls and text messages it was happening so quickly all i could do was add them to a callback list in a spreadsheet and we had volunteers um, constantly phone banking and helping people fill out applications So the Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky has been absolutely vital in flood relief work. And it's insane to see how tirelessly everyone has worked and how inhuman people feel at some points. But I'm really glad to be from a place that in the midst of chaos and catastrophe, our first priority is taking care of each other. You know, we've posted your your link. We've posted several, you know, SOARS links, Eastern Kentucky Mutual Aid's links. There's so many people doing incredible work. And like you said, tireless efforts. And and it really happened right away. You know, people didn't waste time for other people from the outside to come in and help Appalachia. You know, it, it was, you know, our own people doing the work on the ground right away. Can we step back a minute? maybe and can you just talk about your own personal experience with the flood that were any of your family affected how was it when the rain hit yeah I actually I sleep very well to thunderstorms and so <laughs> I was sleeping and then I got a FaceTime call at 3 a.m from my friend Ren. I have an open door policy in my apartment everybody has my door code I'm just like come in whenever I don't care so I get a, a FaceTime call at like 3 a.m and it's my friend Ren. they are in my downstairs, they had gotten locked out of their house. So they just came to my place to sleep. And they were like, you need to come downstairs because there's like three or four inches of standing water in your living room right now. And so, and I live in downtown Hazard, not too far from the North Fork, but also like not incredibly close. So really all the damage that I had to my home was just that standing water, which is more of an annoyance than anything. Um, So very, very blessed on that front. Most of my family lives in the Hazard City limits, but my extended family, some of them lost their homes. um, Some of them lost their in-laws, which was really hard to deal with. For the most part, we were pretty lucky, but there was definitely some some loss that we endured just like everyone else. From, From the foundation's perspective, from your own personal perspective, what was the biggest immediate need? You know, what did people need right away? You kind of spoke about that a a little bit, but then, you know, what do people need now and and what do you think people are going to need in the long term? Because this is not, you know, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. This is going to be a a long extended effort to revitalize the communities there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is definitely an uphill battle and we will still be recovering from this in two to three years from now. Unfortunately, the immediate need, I would say, was definitely those cleaning supplies that were that didn't run out, right? So like push brooms, shovels, um, and tangible things to muck out a home. That along with like monetary donations to buy anything and everything. And whenever the foundation gave out uh, the initial $250 checks, we didn't make any restrictions on these checks whatsoever because we wanted to give people agency in exactly how they wanted to spend that money. Because I know personally, if I had just lost my entire home, I would probably need a drink. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, we did not 
want to tell people how to spend that money. We wanted them to make their own decisions and have that autonomy. And so I would say monetary as well as cleaning supplies was the first um, initial need. Then it kind of moved into mold remediation. So there was a lot of misinformation going around on Facebook and Twitter about how uh, bleach and vinegar took care of mold. And I think that's a common belief. I don't think that's just in Eastern Kentucky necessarily, but that's not the case. And so the foundation was able to partner with the Housing Development Alliance and Homes Incorporated. And we were able to get out a bunch of microbium too, which is like the chemical used for mold remediation. And so get those chemicals out and teach people, okay, it doesn't matter if you get $5,000 from FEMA and you're able to replace all of your drywall. If you do not carry out the correct steps to do mold remediation, then that's all going to go to waste and it's going to be for nothing. The second wave of needs was definitely teaching people how to do that and getting them the correct supplies that they need because a gallon of microbium um, is like 40 bucks. So not necessarily super cheap and also a need that you didn't know you had. And then it's so weird because within disaster relief, there are all of these little things that pile up that you don't necessarily think of. So for example, we had nurses giving tetanus shots at different locations, at mucking out houses locations, because if they're in floodwaters, if they're in places that are filled with bacteria, then you're going to need an updated tetanus shot. And a lot of people did not have those. And then with all of that, COVID is still going on. So we had to think right. about that and issue PPE. That was a whole nother wave of public health concerns, right? And now I would just say it, we're playing the long game. We are still mucking out houses. We are still trying to do that mold remediation. And now we're just trying to replace homes and get as much temporary housing together and semi-permanent housing together as possible. You mentioned housing. You know, housing was a major issue before the floods in, in eastern Kentucky and all of Appalachia, really, especially in regards to affordable housing. Kentucky lawmakers, you know, they passed the bill of $213 million for flood relief. But as part of that bill that was left out, I know Brandon Smith was trying to get a $50 million amendment specifically for housing, which did not pass. How important are the housing needs in that area now in regards to the flood relief? And, and, and just, you know, we talked about long term. How important is it going to be to rebuild in regards to the long term in housing? Yeah, housing was um, definitely already a problem, and this certainly didn't help that. You know, we have people living in tents, and so the fact that our legislature did not necessarily feel the need to immediately issue us funds for housing was very disheartening and discouraging, especially when there were so many public officials coming into Hazard, coming into the FEMA-declared counties, and doing hands-on work, you know. And I know it's not any one person's fault, but the fact of the matter is Bill Gates could come and write us a million dollar check or $5 million. And that could probably be spent within two weeks, just how desperately we need housing. And, you know, it's not just, oh, let's build houses. You have to think about, okay, these floods aren't going to stop happening. Climate change is very real. And so we have to move people out of floodplains because what's the point of building a whole new house or buying in a whole new trailer if the same thing is just going to happen in six to eight months? And, and also just establishing that infrastructure. We had so many, we had cars being shoved into culverts. We had entire water plants being shut down. 
And so it's also establishing an infrastructure that is sound enough to where when these things do happen, they don't completely collapse. And I think that's one of the most heartbreaking things about it is that not only were people's homes and belongings destroyed, the infrastructure around them just seemed to disintegrate because of how powerful the floods were. Can you let the listeners know what your link is, how they can help, especially if they're living outside the region, you know, how they can help support the flood efforts, whether it be through donation or, or other areas? The best way to do it would be to go to AppalachianKY.org. And then at the top, there's a banner that says flood relief updates, applications, and donation page. So at the top of the Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky's website, everything, our impact numbers are there. Those are updated weekly. Yeah. So ways to give applications for individual assistance, small businesses, and um, farmers as well. I know that the small business and individual applications are currently paused because we're trying to play a little bit of catch up, but yeah, everything you'll need to know is at the top of AppalachianKY.org. Is there any way to physically volunteer uh, in person uh, if people wanted to do that coming to the region? I don't know if through the foundation, but other ways that you know of? The best way to do that will be through the Housing Development Alliance. There are, I think this past Saturday, the Brown Foreman Corporation had 70 volunteers come down to Hazard and go to different homes, different work sites and muck out houses. So there's definitely a way to physically volunteer. And their website is HDA Homes or HDAHome.org. And yeah, the Housing Development Alliance is a great nonprofit. They were already in place before all of this happened. I think they've been a nonprofit since 93. They specialize in building homes for low-income folks, which is great and definitely a need, but their efforts have completely been turned into flood relief in general now. Like I said, you know, you all are doing some incredible work to organize around the flood relief efforts for the impacted communities. And, you know, we want to commend you and thank you, you and the foundation for your tireless work in those efforts. Oh, my God. At the end of 12 hour days. So it's this weird phenomenon where your heart's broken into a million pieces. But at the same time, like it's so whole because of all of the love and generosity of the people that you're surrounded by. and so. I can't tell you how many times during the first two weeks after this whole disaster that people were like, how are you, Stacey? And I'm like, I'm exhausted, but there's nowhere else I'd rather be. And I know that there's nowhere else that I'm supposed to be. And I think that that's how a lot of Eastern Kentuckians feel. It's not necessarily the the men in suits coming to muck out houses. It's our neighbors. It's other people who have also lost everything. And I think that's really special. And I think that that speaks to the nature of Appalachians and Eastern Kentuckians. Well said, Stacy. Couldn't have said it better myself. Will and I talk all the time about, when you mentioned we're, we have Bell County roots, we talk all the time about the flood of 77 in Bell County and how devastating it was to the community. And I know that this flood in 2022 will be talked about the remainder of our lifetimes and even after that. Is there an immediate need that that you would say our listeners could act upon this week? And what do you see as the greatest need a year from now? Yeah, I think an immediate need is definitely still any monetary donation that you can afford. Every little bit helps. Also, still getting that cleaning supplies in. We actually have a distribution center um, at the old JCPenney building here in Hazard. And 
it has been amazing to see how many truckloads of donations have come in, but also how hard our volunteers have worked to organize a system in which people can come in, get what they need, and then leave in a timely fashion, but also in a way that's not embarrassing or, or anything of that nature. You have a personal shopper if you go up there and you need something that can help you find anything that you need. And so, yeah, cleaning supplies... And if you need a place to send cleaning supplies, if you buy anything off of Amazon and and need to send it somewhere in Hazard, you can send it to the Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky at 420 Main Street. And that's Hazard, Kentucky, 41701. And so we're accepting all donations of cleaning supplies and things of that nature, microbium. And we distribute all of our microbium to Homes Inc. or the Housing Development Alliance because they're the main people mucking out houses and know about mold remediation. A year from now, I definitely think it will be rebuilding homes. So that's a complicated question for a number of reasons, as you can imagine. But I know that FEMA is currently getting semi-permanent housing um, into as many of the declared counties as possible. But we don't know what that looks like from a year from now. You know, there are people that are going to be living in campers for the foreseeable future. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, they have housing, but what is the next step for them? What is the next step for those people who worked their entire lives and didn't really have that much in savings to be able to rebuild from the ground up? And so I think a year from now, it could still be monetary donations. It could very well be having hands-on manpower to come and help build homes. And I think that now more than ever, it's just a housing crisis is an understatement. Open to ideas over here. Unfortunately, I don't have all the answers. I'm glad you mentioned that about Amazon because that's that's something that all of us use and obviously a really uh, big part of our world now. But it's super easy to go in there and change your delivery address. I mean, Will sends me stuff all the time and I don't even know it's coming. So it's, it's a cool <laughs> thing. I wish my brother did that. Send me surprises <laughs> on Amazon. It happens from time to time. I wanted to take a shift a little bit away from the floods, but you you made a good point earlier about the people that were helping right away were Eastern Kentuckians and how sentimental you, you felt in regards to that, that, you know, Appalachians helping, helping Appalachians. But we have people all the time on here from outside the region as well as guests. We, we've been interviewed ourselves. And the first thing they'll ask us is, you know, can you talk about the challenges of Appalachia? You know, that's kind of how we're viewed as this one big challenge. And we, we always like to flip it on them and, and really just talk about the opportunities instead, because that's the way we see Appalachia from the inside. You know, we see the opportunities that we have. You know, a lot of times people from the outside will definitely assume less of people from our region. You know, it's a very stereotypical thing. But we know the more the young people hear that, that we are less et cetera, et cetera, the more they start to believe it. I, I read that you were part of, and you're still young, Stacy. <laughs> I know you graduated from UK, but I know you, in high school, you were part of the Appalachian Renaissance Initiative to give young people a voice in the region. How, how important is it, do you think, to give young people a voice in Appalachia and you're part of Appalachia, especially? Short answer, very important. <laughs> Long answer is how important it is to me to give young people a voice in Appalachia has shaped my entire professional career, academic career. And so when I was younger, you know, you kind of grow up hearing, especially in a 
coal town that where coal is dying you you grow up hearing oh I can't wait to leave oh there's nothing here and for a long time I had a really sour attitude about that and it was oh if you don't like it here then leave and I didn't really realize how I can use that kind of mindset to shape what I do for a living until I was a senior in high school and I was always very civically engaged and involved because I've always loved hazard. And I think that's part of the, where the, well, if you don't like it, there are people like me here that love it. So leave, (laughs) but you know, my friends who want to be doctors and lawyers and dentists for a while there, I was like, Oh, I'll be an attorney. But then I was like, that's just, that's not how I'm going to make the impact that I want to make. And so my mindset shifted at that point from, if you don't like it, then leave to, I want to make this, have a helping hand in make this, in making this a place that nobody wants to leave. In fact, I want to move the needle so much that people would question why anyone would ever want to leave. And so I think that that has shaped everything that I've done from that moment on is just giving young Appalachians a voice, letting them know that they don't have to be embarrassed of their accent. They're not less intelligent because of their accent. There is always a place for young professionals who want to move back to Appalachia or just move to Appalachia in general. That's a great and perfect perspective. Something that we try to drive home on here all the time. What do you want people or what don't you think people know about Hazard? What would you like people to know about Hazard, especially people from outside the region? Yeah, so I say this a lot, and depending on my audience, it can can kind of seem that I have like a tinfoil hat on, right? But I always say that there is magic in these mountains. And so, right? And some people are like, look, what are you talking about? (laughs) But other people are like, no, absolutely. And those are my people. So that's what I want anyone to know about Eastern Kentucky, about Appalachia, is that within this mountain range, there is so much magic happening here and so much progress that we're trying to drive home you know the Appalachia's complexities and nuance is so intriguing and fascinating to me and I think it's so funny to look at our complete history and then relate it to how we are today because a lot of it still holds true right Appalachians are famous for having that bootstraps mentality I I don't know that that's necessarily the way to to progress but a lot of people still have that mentality subconsciously, right? Whenever it was the day of the floods and there was nobody from Washington, D.C. here yet, you know, people put on their rain boots and went to each other's houses and was helping each other, you know, in search and rescue mode. And so it's little things like that that I want people to really know. My colleagues and my neighbors and the folks that I get to see in the grocery store, those are some of the most intelligent, charismatic, and genuine people that I've ever come to know. And that's what makes this place special is definitely the folks that live here. And so come on. Love to have you. <laughs> I think I think Neil and I you use the phrase magic in the mountains at least once an episode. Oh yeah. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> I think you've them before, Stacy. You've stole Maybe. some of our lines. <laughs> you've listened Maybe. to a few episodes, haven't you? Maybe that's where I picked it up at. And that's not an original thought of mine. Who knows? So what's your favorite thing to do in Hazard then? Ooh, um, I love a good porch sit. I unfortunately don't have a porch, but I have access to my roof. And so you do any picking? I can't carry a tune in a bucket, unfortunately. (laughs) 
I, I think God knew I'd be too powerful if he could like, if he like blessed with some sort of musical talent. But I have friends that do. And so I let them do the picking and I'll flap my gums and talk and make them giggle or something. Yeah. So front porches, we have two new bars down at Main Street now. So a Friday night for me can look like going to both of those bars. And then there's a 24 hour diner. And then going there and then walking home. And so my hierarchy of needs is met living in downtown Hazard, which is beautiful. Uh, and there's a coffee shop. My office is right above a coffee shop and a toy store. So what more do you need? I mean, honestly, what yeah. genuinely, what more do you need? There's always something to do. Uh, it's all about who you associate with and who you get plugged in with, honestly. And so I know that the people that I surround myself with, they make their own fun. Unfortunately, I wish we had movie theaters. Both of those have shut down um, due to COVID and other reasons. We used to have Fugits Entertainment Center, which was you not my Netflix. family. Uh, yeah, Netflix, have a movie night, right? So you make do with what you got, but we've still got a lot here. And I want more people to know that. That's great. I, I got to ask you a random question. We don't always oh. ask everyone this, but but occasionally we'll, we'll pull this out. So I got to ask you just because I feel like obviously we're from the same general place. Biscuits or cornbread? Ooh, it depends on the meal. <laughs> okay. Okay. What, what do you eat cornbread with? Cornbread. I'll eat cornbread during supper or dinner. Um, so with soup, beans, macaroni and tomatoes, chicken and dumplings, all of those are cornbread dishes. And I'm sorry that every question you've asked me, I've had such a nuanced answer to. <laughs> well, let me person. let me ask you this. Do you crumble <laughs> your cornbread into your soup beans or you just eat it as a side? So soup beans, I crumble it in. But for my macaroni and tomatoes, I just like to dip it. Have you ever eaten cornbread in milk? Yes. Um, that was one of me and my dad's favorite pastimes all throughout uh, my childhood growing up now. I have a little bit of lactose intolerance, so milk doesn't really so. And I'll be honest, cornbread and oat milk just doesn't taste the same. Neil and I grew up on cornbread and our papaw every night, cornbread and milk. Yep. Was it whole milk? Because that's the best kind. I tried it with 2% once and it just didn't hit the same. I think papaw used whole milk. Don't put cornbread and buttermilk. That's probably worse than oat milk, in my opinion. We, we ask uh, all of our guests this, and I, I'm always interested to hear what, what they say whether they're inside uh, this area or not, but what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word Appalachia? Resiliency. I think that's evidenced throughout our history. That's evidenced even more so than now, but there's something really special about no matter what happens in our corner of the world, in our region that has been othered by so many folks, no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. And I believe that with all of my heart because Appalachians are resilient. We prove it time and time again, and we're going to keep on proving it. So nobody's got us like we've got us. Great answer. There's one more question that we always ask all our guests. We know the answer, and you've already talked about it, but just where do you call home, and why do you call it home? What makes it unique for you? Yeah, so um, grew up in Hazard. That has always been, you know, I've lived in the city limits of Hazard, so actually not in a holler, which I feel like it would be so fitting for my personality to be from a holler. Um, <laughs> so Hazard has always been home. That's where it will always girl. be home. You're a city girl. I'm a city slicker. That's what it is. <laughs> but yeah, Hazard has always been home and I can't imagine ever calling another place home. There's something about coming back, even when I was in college and like doing the whole college experience. And I loved my time in Lexington, but 
I just always remember thinking on that drive home, just being like, man, I cannot wait to be back in these hills with my people, with my family. My whole family's based here, generations and generations of fugits. I think we can end it uh, uh, by saying, you know, there's magic in the mountains, right? There absolutely is. I want to get a tattoo of that one day, but I'll be sure to quote you all. And <laughs> AMW, you can get AMW right below it. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> Thank you all for having me. I can flap my gums about Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky all day long. So if there's anything that I can ever do to be of assistance to y'all, please let me know. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for taking the time and for all the work that you do, all the work that the foundation does and all the, all the relief efforts that obviously, you, you know, you talked about the tireless work, but it goes, you know, even beyond that. I mean, it's, it's hard personally, it's hard professionally, it's just hard work and we appreciate all that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much. And I hope to come back someday, maybe doing something else. It'll still be Appalachian themed. I'll never do anything besides work in Appalachia, I don't think. All right, well, Stacy had all the goods. So, uh, letting us know about what has been going on in, in uh, flood relief and what continues to go on over in Hazard. So very grateful for her coming on the show tonight and uh, enlighten our guests on everything that goes on over there all the time, but also uh, currently right now in the disaster relief situation. Yeah, it's good to hear from someone on the inside about the incredible work that the foundation is doing but I just wanted to mention all the organizations over there that are, that are putting in tireless, countless hours of work to help with the flood relief. You know, like we mentioned in the episode, people from over there didn't just wait for the outside to come in and help. Uh, they put their boots on from day one and started with the relief efforts right away. And you could, you could just hear from, from Stacy in regards to their efforts and what they did right after the storms of how dedicated they were and have been to the relief efforts. Like we always say, Will, resilient. The Appalachians are resilient. We pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and go to work. Absolutely. So do you have an app biz of the week for me today, Will? We, I do have an app biz. And this is an uh, app business that is relevant to what happened over there. There was an IGA grocery. So a lot of times in small towns, especially small towns, Appalachia, we tend to have food deserts or there aren't a lot of grocery stores around on a lot of fresh foods that we that people have access to. But one of the stores that was in it's called Isom, Kentucky. There was an IGA grocery store over there that had been part of the city for 30 years. It was bought by Gwen Kristen and her husband, Arthur. It's the Isom IGA. They bought it more than 30 years ago, but when the floods came, it completely destroyed their store. Six feet of muddy water was standing in the store, completely destroyed what they had been worked for for the past 30 years. Not to mention, they didn't even have flood insurance. I know a group organized, uh, I think there was a GoFundMe out there for the ISOM IGA. And I think they've raised money to help get this store back up and running in ISOM to facilitate the food needs of that area. So I just wanted to mention that business. You know, 
even though IGA may be a national brand, you know, it's owned locally by someone who runs it. So I wanted to mention that as the app biz of the week to just point out that a lot of businesses, a lot of small businesses there in that area got destroyed and are going to need funding or are going to need help to get back up and running. There's no, nothing more important than a grocery store to a local community. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Will. When you think about a flood, you don't really think about it impacting a local grocery store in a small town. But over there in Letcher County, there's not a lot of places to to get your goods. And uh, that operation has been in business for quite some time. And uh, I'm glad the people stepped up to help them. And if, uh, I'm just glad we were able to give the awesome IGA a shout out on our show. And hopefully you can visit them sometime in the future. Yeah, definitely. Like, like you said, it, it's more than just a place to buy food. It's a community center. It's a helping hand. And it's a major employer for the area. I think they may, may still have a GoFundMe page up. If you want to check it out, Isom IGA, I-S-O-M-I-G-A. Great episode, great work that Stacy's doing there in Hazard. We mentioned all the work with the foundation, but also don't forget about Envision Hazard. It's important to develop downtowns, to revitalize downtowns, especially in small town Appalachia. Yeah, thanks again to Stacy for her work. I hope she will continue. I know she's a hazard girl, and it sounds like she will uh, fight for hazard no matter what. So looking forward to hearing big things out of her in the future. All right, Neil. Like we usually do, I guess we can end it. Till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong In the mountains